0: Well, let me begin by already wishing all of you a Merry Christmas. Hope it is a great holiday season for all of us. I want to welcome those of you who are watching by television, those who are watching online, and those at our several campuses. We're one church in several locations. And if you're not attending a campus, find the one nearest to you and uh, see what God's doing in the church that I love so much. Well, as you well know, everybody loves a holiday, right? And Americans especially do. And we're in the season of the most celebrated holiday of all. In fact, I found this kind of interesting. The 4th of July is actually the fourth most celebrated holiday. 79% of Americans observe it. Coming in third is Thanksgiving. 87% of Americans observe Thanksgiving. Believe it or not, you ready for this? God help us. Halloween comes in third. 94% of people celebrate Halloween. Grow up America. But number one, Christmas. 95 out of every 100 Americans celebrate Christmas. But I have a question, and I have a serious question. thought about it for a long time, and the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced we need to address it. And that is, how many of you really think, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you really think we really celebrate Christmas the right way? And how many of you really think we really celebrate Christmas the right way for the right reason? And how many of you really think we celebrate Christmas the right way for the right reason with the right results? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Nobody celebrates Christmas more than children. And yet, when you look at the fruit of the Christmas celebration in our children, it makes you wonder, do children even really celebrate Christmas the right way for the right reason with the right results? One of my favorite authors is a, is a guy named Randy Alcorn, and Randy Alcorn put it this way. I want you to listen to what he said. He said, more often than not, the trail of shredded wrapping paper in our living rooms is highlighted by broken, abandoned, and unappreciated toys. Far from being filled with the spirit of thankfulness for all that Christmas means, the children are grabby, crabby sullen and ungrateful for what they've received precisely because they have received so much. So true. So I got to thinking about it about a year ago, and I'll try to plan my Christmas series out uh, way ahead of time. So I got to thinking about that question, and it hit me. that I believe there is a cast of characters in the Christmas story, I think they celebrated Christmas the right way. In fact, I think that's why their story is in the Bible. I think they celebrated Christmas for the right reason, and I think they celebrated Christmas with the right results. And in this series that we're calling Entourage, we're going to see how and why they celebrated Christmas. Let me just talk to two groups of people very quickly. Maybe you're an unbeliever. You may be in that 5% and you don't really celebrate Christmas at all. Or if you do celebrate it, you don't celebrate it as a holy day, it's just a holiday. Well, if that's true of you, I really hope you come to this series over the next three weeks, because I really believe it may open up your eyes to at least consider why you really should celebrate Christmas, not just as a holiday, but as a holy day, or maybe you are a believer, and, 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 and you've never thought about how you celebrate Christmas, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, <clears throat> getting, now that I think about it, I wonder if I've really celebrated Christmas the right way, for the right reasons, with the right results. So I would invite you to to learn some things in this series about Christmas and about God and about yourself that I bet you have never thought before. So as we're going to look at the first cast of, of Christmas characters today in this series, and I'm really pumped about, if you got a copy of God's Word or a smartphone or an iPad or whatever it is that you use, I want you to turn to the very first gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, and I want you to turn to the second chapter. Now Matthews right at the end of the Old Testament. It's the beginning of the New Testament. And if you didn't bring anything to look on, that's fine. We'll throw some scriptures up on the screen. And today we're going to look at the story that is popularly known as the three wise men. And if you gave rise to the popular character, we are Carol, we three kings. However, there's a question I want to ask that I bet you've never thought about before about every one of these Christmas stories that are in the Bible. In fact, every story in the Bible. And here's a great question we should always ask in any, about any story we read in the Bible, and that is, why is this story in the Bible? And I think it's a great question to ask about these three wise men or these three kings because keep in mind that of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John doesn't even mention the birth of Jesus. Mark does not even mention the birth of Jesus. Only Matthew and Luke talk about it, and even they knew that there was only so much they could put in their book so why is it when Matthew knows he's only got so much space he can write, there's only so much he can put in his book, why in the world would Matthew write a story about some stargazers from hundreds of miles away to look for some child only to give him the most impractical gifts a child has ever been given at Christmas? Why in the world would that story even be in the gospel? I mean, let me, let me, let me give you an illustration. Let's suppose this story was not in the Bible. Let's suppose we didn't know anything about Magi. We didn't know anything about a star. We didn't know anything about Herod. We didn't know anything about this story whatsoever. We still have Christmas. We still know everything we really need to know about the baby called Jesus and about the Christmas story. As a matter of fact, what's even kind of stranger is this. This really isn't even a Christmas story. I bet you didn't know this. This is not even a Christmas story. This is really a post-Christmas story. Because Jesus has already been born. He's a child. He's probably now about two years old. And by the way, somebody observe that observed the, that the story would have been totally different if it had been wise women instead of wise men. You ever thought about that? If it would have been women, they would have asked for directions. They would have made it to Bethlehem on time. They would have helped deliver the baby. They would have cleaned the stable. They would have made a casserole. And they would have at least given some gifts that a kid could use, right? So, uh, you know, it would have been a better story had it been women instead of men. But when you read the entire story, it becomes crystal clear to me why Matthew chose to put this in this book. And I'm going to tell you why. We're going to learn today from these Magi, who we call wise men, some things that I believe are the wisest things anybody can do, If they really want to understand the story of Christmas and they really want to celebrate Christmas the right way, the most meaningful way, the best way possible, I want to show you what these men did and why I believe Matthew put them in the Bible. So if you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, I'm open to a new idea, I'm open to a new thought, what did these men do that i ought to do that would help me to appreciate understand and really celebrate the christmas story the way it ought to be done they did three things i'm going to invite you to do number one believe the word of god that's the first thing you've got to do if you really want to celebrate christmas right you've got to believe the word of god now The first two verses remind us this is a post-Christmas story. This is later. This is not when the baby was born. This is probably about one or two years later. Here's what we read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in other words, he's letting us know. This has already taken place. The baby's already been born, okay? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, here's the interesting thing. That's the only words these men ever say in the entire story. They don't say anything else. The only time they ever say anything is they ask, This question. Now, let me just stop right there because I want you to notice right off the bat there are several misconceptions we have about these men who visited Jesus. And the reason why there's some misconceptions is because of that song that somebody wrote We Three Kings of Orient Are. All right? Here's some things that really are not in the story. First of all, we don't know how many of these Magi there were. We we don't know whether it was three, five, ten, twelve. Now, tradition said because they gave three gifts, there must have been three different men. However, there's no law that says only one giver can give one gift. Maybe there were two, and one gave one, and and one gave two. Maybe there were ten, but only three gave gifts. You know, we don't know how many that they were. Furthermore, they weren't kings. We we say, well, we three kings. Well, they were not kings. Matter of fact, they were far from being a king. They were what we would call today stargazers. The word magi there, you can imagine, gives us our word, what do you think? Magic or magicians. That's where we get the word magic or magicians from. Now, let me tell you about about these magi. They actually date from the 7th century B.C. And they resided in in Babylon or what we would call today modern-day Iraq. Now, they they were very skilled in two disciplines. They were skilled in astronomy, which is the study of the laws and the movements of the stars, but they were also astrologers. They were they, 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 they studied astrology, which is the study of the message of the movement of the stars. Now, today we separate those disciplines, okay? I do not believe in astrology, and I don't believe in astrologers, and I hope you don't. I do believe in astronomy. We, we separate them, but back then they combined them. And kings believed and and common people leave believed, believed that they had supernatural powers to tell the, the future and to tell about what was going to happen and kings believed they had this ability to study the stars and get messages and guidance from life and so many times they would call these Magi in before they would go to battle or, or before they would make a, a decision they would call these Magi and they'd say hey what are the stars telling you? What do you, what do you think that well, I ought to do? So that's why they were called wise men because they really were considered wise men back in their day. But then finally, they didn't come from the Orient. You know, we three kings of Orient, the Orient is the Far East. They didn't come from the Far East. They came from ancient Babylon, which is about 300 miles away. Now, regardless of all of that, you can just imagine 2,000 years ago the attention that they drew when they rode into Jerusalem. They probably had an entourage with them because they were probably very wealthy men. They were very well-respected men. And you just didn't have visitors coming from Iraq or coming from Babylon every day of the year. So it was really an attention-getter when they kind of come riding into Babylon, and they immediately start asking a question that went viral in a hurry. Hey, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Now, that, that made ears perk up. That got everybody's attention. Well, let's hold their horse for just a moment because this begs a couple of questions. First of all, why were they following a star to begin with? That's question number one. I mean, I, I would ask that. Why are you even following a star to begin with? And number two, why and how did they know about the birth of this Jewish king? How, how did they know that? Why are you following, I mean, if they'd come into my, if, they, if I heard their story and I was a king or I was just an ordinary guy and I kind of met them and maybe they're having a restaurant and a, having dinner or something and they're telling me this story, I would have said, hey, can I ask a question? Why are you following a star and, and how do you even know about this Jewish king? Well, the answer is going to shock you. The reason why they followed the star and the reason why they were looking for a Jewish king is because they believed God's word. You say, where do you get that? Well, remember, if you don't, I'll clue you in. You know the first time the wise men are ever mentioned in the Bible? It's not in Matthew. The first time that Magi are ever mentioned is in the book of Daniel. Now, who was Daniel? Daniel was a Jewish exile who was taken captive by the Babylonians. And Daniel chapter 2 tells us that Daniel rose to such prominence, he was actually put in charge over all of the Magi, all of the wise men in Babylon. What do you think Daniel did? Daniel began to teach them the word of God, and they heard from Daniel about God's plan to send a Messiah to the Jewish nation. And besides that, there were many other Jews that had been deported to Babylon. And so, after the nation was conquered. And so, this belief about this coming Messiah had been commonly taught from the first five books of the Old Testament. So, these wise men for centuries kept hearing about there's going to be a king born. There's going to be a Messiah born. This Messiah is going to come. Now, remember, they're stargazers. These are astronomers. These are astrologers. They took their cues about life and death and the present and the future from the stars. Well, what's that got to do with God's Word? Well, I guarantee you there was a verse in one of those five books of the Old Testament that every Jew had that they had learned and studied that got their attention. It comes from Numbers chapter 24. I see him, but not now I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, that is the nation of Israel. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the people of Sheth. Now, I know they didn't understand everything about that, but obviously what they did was what they saw when that star rose in the sky, what they saw in the sky, and they compared that to what they read in the Jewish scriptures, they said, hey, wait a minute. This is amazing. There, there's this star that we read about and wondered about and, and, and wondered what the star was all about. And then there's a scepter. Okay, pop quiz. Who holds a scepter? A king. So they're going, wait a minute, wow. So there's this star, and somehow this star and this king, they are somehow connected. Somehow this star is going to herald this birth of a king. It's going to announce this birth of a king. Somehow there's going to be some kind of a brilliant light, some kind of an astronomical shining, and when that star rises, we're going to know this king has been born. So the star now... Brings them only as far as Bethle as, as Jerusalem. That's where the star, that's where the star was hovering. That they follow the star, and they get to Jerusalem, and they came there because that was the capital city. And of course, that made sense to them. But they still had to ask, but where's the king? I, I mean, where has this king been born? They had to stop because they were stumped. I and mean, at this point, they, 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 had, they had made a wasted trip for nothing. If they didn't find out something else, they didn't know where to go. They didn't even know who they were looking for. They needed one more piece to complete the, the puzzle. Well, where was that missing piece? Keep reading now in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now, why was he disturbed? Because he was the king. He doesn't want any more kings. He's the king of the Jews. He doesn't want any other king of the Jews. He's disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, why did he call them together? They knew their Bible. They knew their scriptures. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. Now he quotes the prophet, Malachi, or Malachi. But you, Micah rather, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, the Magi had never heard this prophecy. All they had was basically probably the first five books of the Old Testament. And all of a sudden now, they hear this passage, and they hear this prophecy, and they say, wow, so you're telling us that the baby is just five or six miles away from us. He's in this little town called Bethlehem. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This is important. It was not the star that led these men to Jesus. you listening? It was not the star that led these men to Jesus. It was the star that led them to Jerusalem. It was the scripture that led them to Bethlehem. They say, okay, so why is that so important? I'll tell you why. You need more than a star to get to Jesus. You need this to get to Jesus. You need the Word of God to get to Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, the star was enough to get them to Jerusalem, but it took Scripture to get them to Jesus. See, the world tells us there is a God. The Word tells us who this God is and how I can know Him and how He knows me and how we can get to Him. So I just want to encourage you to do something. If you're not a believer, and you've never really read your you've never really read this book. I just like to encourage you to do something. Read the Bible anyway. You say, "Well, I don't even believe the Bible." It doesn't matter. It's a good book whether you like whether you believe it or not. Got some great stories. And it just may change your life because if it's not true, it's at least good reading and if it is true, it can lead you to the one who can change your life forever. So that's why I'm saying so you're saying to me, you're telling me I really can't celebrate and appreciate Christmas if I don't believe the Word of God. That is exactly right. First step believe the Word of God. Second thing we need to do follow the will of God. Believe the Word of God, then follow the will of God. Now, the story continues in a very fascinating way. We'll pick up in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. Notice that word. we'll come back to that in a little while. Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too may go so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now I want you to stop right here. This is one of the neatest parts of this story to me. This is the part of the story that fascinates me because it's something you wouldn't have noticed, and so I'm going to notice it for you. There's something different about the star's movement here. Have you gotten that? I don't know what you're talking about. When they first saw the star, we were told the star rose. In other words, here's what happened. They got up one day, and they saw a star unlike any other star they'd ever seen. They saw a star that stuck out like a sore thumb. It was a star above every other star. But it was stationary. It never moved. And so they just followed the direction of that star. They just kept their eye on that star. That star was their compass point. And they followed that star all the way until they got to Jerusalem. But now we're told that they were led by the star to Bethlehem. In other words, now the star was doing something the star had not done before. For hundreds and hundreds of miles, that star never moved. Now the star's moving. The star is moving in front of them for hundreds and hundreds of miles. If you'd just seen this caravan going walking along the desert, you would not have known they were following a star. Nobody would have known that unless you were in that caravan, but they were going in that direction. There's the star. Every day they just followed that star, and they got until the star was hovering over Jerusalem, and then they just stopped. But now they understand, we haven't just been following a star, we have been following God. Because it was the Word of God that led them to do the will of God. See, I'm sure these magi never dreamed they would ever follow a star. As a matter of fact, you ever thought about this? Can you tell me of anybody else in the history of the world that ever followed a star anywhere? Nobody's done that. Nobody's ever done it before. Nobody's ever done it since. That star represented the will of God for the life. Because remember, they had been making a journey that lasted anywhere from a few months to maybe up to two years. And their only desire every day was to keep their eye on that star and make their way to that star. They had a single focus every day. When they got up every day, they had one job. Follow that star. Because they understood This is the will of God for us. We don't know where we're going to wind up, but here's what we do know. It is the will of God for us to follow that star. Now, do you remember why they were following the star? They were looking for the king of the Jews, because although they didn't realize it until they met him. They were looking for Jesus. Now, listen carefully. This is why these Magi are so relevant to you. This is why this story is so relevant to you and me, because let me tell you one thing that is true about everybody on this planet whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, whether you believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible, whether you're a part of a church or you're not a part of a church, whether you follow Jesus or you don't follow Jesus, there is one thing that's true about every single person on this planet. Every single day, God wants to lead you to Jesus. Every single day, God wants to lead you to Jesus. You were put on this earth to seek Jesus. You were put on this earth to find Jesus. You were put on this earth to love Jesus. And where God wanted to lead the Magi is where God wants to lead you and where God wants you, wants to lead me. And by the way, there's something else very interesting about how this star led them to Bethlehem. And unless you really studied astronomy, you really would not know this. And so that's why I'm your pastor. Okay, so listen. Anybody know which direction the star moved in to get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? Some of you have been to Israel. You'll know this. So which direction was the star moving when it went from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? Can you guess? North to south. Bethlehem south. You say, okay, so why is that such a big deal? Because normally as you look at the horizon, stars don't travel north to south. Stars travel east to west. Why? Why? Because we rotate east to west, not north to south. So, kind of strange. Now stars not only moving, but now they're look. these star experts are going, wait a minute, the star's not supposed to do that. Stars don't go east, north to south. Star goes east to west. So, it wasn't just that the star was moving. What probably dropped their jaws was to say, this is a star that's doing something no other star has ever done. This star is going from north to south. Now, listen carefully. They did not need the star to lead them to Bethlehem. they knew where Bethlehem was they knew that's where the baby was born because they already knew that from the scripture but they did not know which part of Bethlehem to go to. Now what does that mean? listen carefully. It is not the will of God that you just kind of get in the vicinity of Jesus. It is the will of God that you get directly to Jesus and when you finally re- when they finally realize, They have reached their destination. I love this part. Here's what we read in three words. Listen to this. They were overjoyed. I wish I could put that in the Greek word language up there because I know you don't read Greek, but I wish I could put it up there in the Greek language because can I just be honest, and I don't mean this to be ugly. That's a pretty pathetic translation. I'm just being honest with you. When you read it in the Greek language, you you know how it reads? They were overjoyed with mega, unbelievable, overflowing, great, abundant joy. In other words, they were dancing in the streets. They were doing cartwheels. It was the happiest moment of their life. And it should have been because I want to tell you, I've learned this. The greatest joy in life is when you find and follow and fulfill the will of God for your life. I'm going to say that again. The greatest joy in your life is when you find and follow and fulfill the will of God in your life. And the happiest moment of your life is when the will of God leads you to the Son of God. The happiest day of my life was the day I met Jesus. The happiest day of my life was the day I gave my life to Jesus. The happiest day of my life was when Jesus came into my heart. And you know what? Every day, every day of my life, I do cartwheels. I really do. Every day of my life, I get up excited. I attack the day. I'm excited about the day. You know why? Just what I'm doing right now. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm doing the will of God. There's nothing like knowing you're doing what you were put on this earth to do. I I wanted to do so many other things, but God said, no, son, I want you to be a preacher of the gospel. I want you to pastor a church. I want you to tell people about me. I want you to give everything you are and everything you am to everything that I want you to do. And I'm telling you, there is nothing like knowing you're in the center of God's will for your life. These men were overjoyed. Because finally they knew, we have done the will of God because we believe the Word of God and we have found the Son of God. These men found Jesus for one reason. Because they were looking for Jesus. And God even took a star to make sure that they found Jesus. So let me just say this to you. Anybody who is looking for Jesus will find Jesus. Because Jesus will Find anyone who's looking for him. So, what do you do to celebrate Christmas? Here's what these wise men did. Believe the Word of God. Follow the will of God. Here's the last thing. Give your worship to God. Give your worship to God. Now, what these Magi do next is illogical. It is unprecedented. And it's breathtaking. Here's what happens, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. Are you ready for this? This is a child now. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. First time in Scripture we're told, the very first time we're told, that Jesus was worshipped, but here's what I want you to see, I want you to notice that they worship the child, as a matter of fact, Matthew goes out of his way to emphasize, he is just a child, now what was it that Herod told them to do, Let's let's review, go and search carefully for the what, for the child, okay, where did the star stop, over the place where the child was, and on coming to the house, what did they see? They saw the child. Matthew says, he is a child. Why would Matthew keep hammering the fact? I want you to understand, this was a child. Listen carefully. That title child would have been a vivid contrast with someone who is a king or someone who is great because. Back in Bible days, it's not like it is today. You know, today we dote on children, and we almost put kids on a pedestal, particularly grandkids, right? We put grandkids on a pedestal, and, you know, we, we, we minister, and we, we, we get every whim and everything they want, we get. It wasn't that way 2,000 years ago. Status was very important, and children were at the bottom of the ladder. As a matter of fact, the word for child in both the Greek and Latin, you remember, you ready for this? Do you know what the word child literally means in Greek and Latin? Don't talk. Not a bad word, okay? Don't talk. Not speaking. In other words, 2,000 years ago, children literally were to be seen and not heard. They had no rights. They had no privileges. They were the lowest rung on the ladder. So to make sure that there was no misunderstanding about what was happening, they give gifts to this child, a child. A child is being worshiped who's not even supposed to be seen and heard from at all and not supposed to speak until spoken to. And then look what they give him. This is a child now. Not an Xbox. Not a PlayStation. Not a bat and glove. Not even gap clothes. This is a child. What do they give him? They give him gold. Why do they give him gold? Because gold was a gift fit for a king. Kings wore crowns always made of gold. And when they gave that child their gift of gold, they were recognizing his royalty. You know what they were saying? They were saying, you're not just a child in your mama's lap. You are a king sitting on a throne. They gave him gold. Then they gave him frankincense. Why did they do that? if you'd gone to the temple to worship, you would have found the priest burning frankincense and incense To God. Who were they burning it to? They were burning it to God. It was a symbol of worship. And God even gave, as a matter of fact, specific instructions that frankincense was to be reserved only for him. This is a very obscure verse in the Bible, but it's very important. In Exodus chapter 30, and verse 37, this is an instruction God gave about incense. He said, do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. In other words, here's what they were saying. When they gave him gold, they were saying, you're a king. They gave him frankincense. They said, you're not just a king, you're God. But then they gave him myrrh, myrrh. Now, you talk about a strange gift to give a little boy. They're supposed to be celebrating the birth of this child, and yet they're giving him a gift that's reserved for death. You know what myrrh was used for? To embalm dead bodies. Now, please don't give me myrrh for Christmas. Please don't do that. I I, I can take a hint. I mean, they gave a child myrrh. Why did they do that? They probably didn't even realize it, but they were giving gifts to a Savior who would die, not just a king who would reign. So what did they do? They gave him their wealth as a king. They gave him their witness as a Savior. They gave him their worship as God, because note how Matthew put this. Listen to what he said. He said, then they opened their... Treasures. Now, this is so good. Listen to this. You know what the word treasure means? It's the Greek word that gives us the word thesaurus. You know what a thesaurus is, right? A thesaurus is a treasure of words. This is how they worship Jesus. Why do they give him gold, frankincense, myrrh? By the way, all very, very expensive. Why would they give a child gold and frankincense and myrrh? That's how they worship Jesus. They gave him the best that they had. See, Christmas is all about God giving us his best, his son, so that we in turn could give his son our best, our wealth, and our witness, and our worship. You know, Matthew, he loved these wise men. You know how I know that? You ready for this? Again, never thought about this before. Go read the Next time you read the gospel of Matthew, keep this in mind. Matthew gives their story more acreage of lines and text. He gives them more square inches of text than he gives to the entire birth narrative of Jesus. Matthew never mentions mangers. He never mentions inns. He never mentions shepherds. He never mentions angels. Who's on the front page of Matthew's gospel? Magi. Who gets top billing? Magi. Whose names are in neon lights? Magi. Because Matthew said, First gospel, right out of the chute, he says, I want to make sure everybody knows the star seeker's story. Why? Because I believe their story is your story. I believe their story is my story. I believe their story is our story. Let me tell you why. Let me explain. You don't know this, probably, so let me just inform you. Matthew was a Jew, and Matthew's gospel was written primarily for Jews. All right, now, keep this in mind. Matthew is a Jew, and his is the most Jewish gospel of all the four gospels by far. He's writing his book for Jews, and he gives front-page billing not to Jews but to Gentiles. And he doesn't just give front page billing to Gentiles. They're pagans. They're stargazers. They, they, they worship the heavens. To Jewish eyes, they were outcast. These are men who up until now had formally worshipped the stars. But now, instead of worshipping the lights of the world, they're worshipping the light. Now listen, there's some of you here right now, some of you are watching online, some of you are watching on television, you're listening to what I'm saying right now. You're looking everywhere for answers to life except the Word of God. You're doing everything to find meaning in life except the will of God. You're worshiping everything in everyday life except the Son of God. And that's why you can't celebrate Christmas. You can't appreciate Christmas. You don't even understand Christmas. Because Christmas really comes when you believe the Word of God. And you do the will of God. And you give your worship to God. That's what wise men do. Let's pray together.